0: Welcome back, everybody, to a very special episode of rotating reels i'm one of your hosts taylor may with me we got keegan and hank and a very special guest richard shankman who if you don't remember the name he directed the man from earth which we reviewed several weeks ago we all loved it i think it's one of our favorite films to we've reviewed on the podcast so we're really excited to have richard here richard go ahead and say hi to the people
1: hi to the people (laughs) Um, i'm so happy to be here
0: awesome well so I think everybody already knows us. So, Richard, why don't you give people a little bit of background on what you do for a living, how you got into film, anything you want people to know kind of about your background?
1: Sure. Okay. Well, um, I'm one of those guys who always wanted to be a filmmaker, basically. I, I didn't necessarily know what it meant when I was a little kid. Like, for example, when I was a very, very young man, I subscribed. I, I bought a subscription to American Cinematographer because it at the time, it seemed to have the most kind of nuts and bolts details in it about how movies actually got made. So I read that and then I just, I thought, um, oh, I'll be a cinematographer. And then the more I learned about filmmaking, the more I realized how much math cinematographers had to do. And I realized that that probably wasn't gonna work for me. Um, also just, uh, you know, I uh, just from messing around with my, with my Super 8 film camera and, and summer classes and stuff like that, I began to realize Um, Oh, and reading the Jerry Lewis book, the Jerry Lewis book, the, uh, the total, total filmmaker or complete total filmmaker, I think, um, was one of the first and most, and still one of the most important textbooks I ever read about the filmmaking Mm. process, brilliant book. And, um, and I realized, oh no, I want to be Jerry Lewis. I, you know, I want to write and direct and and maybe even act, you know, like I want to, I want to make the movie. So that set me on the path. And then it just became a question of how do you achieve that? And you know, everybody's got their own route. Some people got to take a really direct route, you know, especially people younger than me um, got to take a really direct route, like, you know, go to NYU and graduate and make their first feature and get it into a big festival and have a career. Uh, that wasn't my route, unfortunately. Um, I went to college up in uh, Albany, New York, and I, I built, it didn't have a film department per se, so I built what was called an interdisciplinary major, meaning I created my, I created my own film degree from a school that didn't have a film department. Um, and so I graduated with the first, you know, Bachelor of the Arts in Film in the history of SUNY Albany. But funnily enough, like a guy a year behind me totally copied what I did and then did the same thing. A year later. <laughs> um, but, you know, whatever. Uh, they should have like the Shankman School of Film, you know, at the... Uh, I was uh, going to no, say,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> No, I had this amazing... Uh, my faculty advisor was the one film teacher the one real film professor that they had in the art department, a really brilliant and wonderful man named Arthur Lennig, who is still alive, uh, who uh, whose obsessions were the movies of the 20s and the 30s. So, you know, today, every film professor basically thinks all the best films in American history were, were made in the 70s. But here's a guy who basically thinks they haven't made a good movie since 1945, you know, so, <laughs> uh, so that was great because, you know, what a great perspective to have, Uh, you know, and so from him, I learned all about Eric von Stroheim and DW Griffith and, you know, Lubitsch and, you know, on and on all all the, all the great, you know, all the greats from back in the day, uh, the people that really invented American cinema, you know, literally. Um, So then, but the other thing I did in college was I ran, by the way, you guys, this is like the long extended disco version. By all means, tell me to shut up when. No, 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 no. I, I, when Looking you're like, your, get the man from earth, you know, get the man. <laughs> no, <from> no, no, <laughs> no.
0: Looking at your filmography, that that's, it's fascinating all the different types of film you've done. It's real entrepreneurial.
1: Well, it's yes. You know, thank you. Yeah. That is, that is the word. I just was having that conversation the other day with, you know, another independent filmmaker that, you know, basically one has to have become entrepreneurial basically in self-defense. Uh, um, so anyway, uh the other thing I did in college, other than trying to make films and stuff, was I ran the radio station, hmm. and so I had a, As a consequence of that, I had a friendship with our local CBS college rep, who was a guy named Barry Levine. Who um, CBS would get kind of get these like slaves. Uh, they'd get fifty slaves or interns. I mean, interns <laughs> um, uh, each year spread out across you know fifty of the top markets um uh, in, in the country like the top 50 college towns and they would have these young people work for basically like 25 a week and all the records they could steal um mm-hmm. you know to promote and uh, to local radio and local college radio especially college radio so barry was ours and he was the one guy the one person out of all 50 who got an actual job at cbs records so he moved down to the city to get his job at CBS Records in the big, you know, they called Black Rock, you know, this yeah. big black. Uh, and uh, he and I were friends, so we kept in touch. And after I graduated, and I was, you know, trying to figure out what to do, he said to me, you know, um, a guy I know from the Chicago office has just left CBS to go work for this new cable channel that's going to play music twenty-four hours a day. You hmm. should talk to him. <laughs> so he said yeah, it'd be perfect for you because you know, radio, you know, music and film and. Says, yeah, I should. So long story short, you, you can see where this is going. I ended up being like the fourth person hired to work at what eventually became MTV. Wow. Uh, and so that was amazing. Like that was really my real film graduate program because you did everything. You wrote, you edited, you directed, if there was any directing to be done. You know, you did a lot of producing because you're trying to scrape together. We didn't have any money. So that was where the whole thing of like the black and white stock footage and everything came from because that was all PD mm-hmm. from the... Um, from the national archives and same with the nasa footage that's why we had the, the moon landing mm-hmm. and all that was because i knew from having been a kid and ordering stuff from the gsa the general services administration catalog that all that stuff was free <laughs> and so we all loved nasa and we all you know and we needed free stuff and that's where the whole idea of the moon landing came from um, wow so anyway so, so mtv as I did that, you know, and then I started my little company and I, you know, did commercials and music videos and, you know, marketing mm-hmm. presentations and on-air promos for basically every cable channel in New York, you know, from HBO and Lifetime to, you know, whoever. Uh, and then I was, and then, you know, like 10 years had gone by and I was trying to figure out, but how do you make, a, you know, how do you get into movies? Mm-hmm. And so I did the thing that a lot of people do, which is I took all my money and I made this 35 millimeter short um, and that got into some festivals and stuff but it didn't get me like a feature. You know, it yeah. got me some meetings, but everyone said, okay, well, what have you got? And I said, talent. And he said, no, 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 like you need a project. <laughs> so I basically started writing and trying to, and that didn't go anywhere. And then I was broke. Um, and then I got a call from a guy who had been an executive at MTV, who had been there for many, many years, who had left finally, because he had been hired at Playboy to relaunch their entertainment division. And he called me up and he said, Shakeman, you know, I don't want to think about production. You got to come out and help me out. So they brought me out to LA where I helped them relaunch the Playboy Entertainment Division. And that was like a, like a second grad school because there I was not only writing and directing and producing, but I was also an executive, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I like I had a budget. And I was causing stuff to be made, so I was able to hire my friends to write stuff and direct and produce stuff. And I was able to hire musician friends to create original music, like my like my friend Midjour from Ultravox. I had him create the theme song for this magazine show that we had that was very successfully syndicated all over Europe. Um, that was cool, you know. So it was just really cool to be able to travel and spread work around. Yeah, um, and that was fun. But then five years again went by. And I thought, shit! I still thought made a movie, um, <laughs> so that was when I left and finally got together with some friends and I made The Pompous of Love in 1995. And then basically, since 1995, I've just been like every other idiot struggling independent filmmaker trying to have some kind of career. And that's so me.
0: I gotta, I I gotta ask, were there any moments when you thought? I'm not going to make that movie. I'm not going to make a movie. I'm just going to keep doing what this is, but it looks like I'm never going to get to that point where I'm going to do the
1: feature. No. Uh, no. Uh, never. Because yeah. there just seemed to – I mean, frankly, I kept thinking the phone was going to ring and Columbia Pictures was going to offer me a job. You know, yeah. like I, I remember actually I used to send some – because the Playboy stuff, some of it was really, really nice looking. And so I used, and some of it was funny. Like I did a lot of, you know, comedy shorts that didn't even, you know, necessarily have any nudity in them or anything. And I would send them around thinking like, oh, I'm going to get a big agent. I'm going to get, and what I did not realize until somebody just kindly, but honestly told me to my face, it was, you know, like nobody wants to look at this Playboy stuff, man. Mm -hmm. You know, like at Playboy, we were the big fish, in a small pond a small muddy little pond um and i just i didn't realize it because we were the big fish
0: yeah
1: uh but it still was very much a ghetto Hmm. and i could not turn there was one opportunity that came along where i could have turned the playboy work into something really legit i could have gotten on a project um produced by propaganda films Um, Do you guys know Propaganda? That's where David Fincher and um, uh, uh, um, uh, Dominic Senna and a lot of really talented directors of the 90s kind of came from was Propaganda that was a music video and commercial production company. Mm -hmm. And had I been able to get in with Propaganda, that, you know, because they were working very hard to build their guys up into brands and then get them feature films. And it happened for a lot of their directors. So that would have really been a great route for me. But at a key moment, um, a close friend betrayed me oh, no. uh, and broke that opportunity for me. Uh, it, was really, it was really startling. Later, yeah. years later, he called me up to say, I am just so sorry. He somehow thought, here's something that happens um, in Hollywood. Uh, yeah. This probably happens other places but it happens a lot in Hollywood. People think they, they have like this limited amount of juice. You know, like I've got a pint of juice and if I use any of that juice for somebody else, then I don't have it anymore. Mm. And so I can't really be spending my juice on other people. I've never operated like that. I don't, I don't think that's true. I think that if you have a friend who's genuinely talented, and you, um, and you, talk that friend up for a job, and that friend gets the job and deliver it, it only helps you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I mean, it could hurt you a little if you talk a friend up for a job and they do a bad job. It could come back to you a little bit, but it's, it's never going to come back to you ruinously because yeah. it's not like you—you it, it didn't do it. You know, you legitimately thought your friend was going to do a good. You know, you know, and and besides. If the friend was me, you know, I wasn't going to do a bad job. Like I've always delivered. That's one of the, I, you know, if you look at my old commercial, like I had a lot of the same clients coming back and back and back to say, you know, I delivered. Um, so, so it's really unfortunate that sometimes people don't step up for their friends the way you would hope they would. But, yeah. but, you know, that's Hollywood. I wish it were the worst thing that happens in Hollywood. and Sadly, sadly, <laughs> yeah. sadly, sadly we know it's not. Um, So, yeah, so um, I actually did make a movie before The Pompous of Love. Uh, It's kind of like a secret, um, or maybe it's not a secret (laughs) anymore. But while I was actually still on staff at Playboy, I took a short leave and and directed um, a sequel to Angel. Uh, Angel, high school student by day, Hollywood hooker by night. Yeah, uh, I mean this is obviously way before you guys were like born I think but um <laughs> um it wasn't supposed to be a sequel to Angel. It was a, it was a movie called um Assault with a Deadly Weapon and it was supposed to be like a rock and roll mystery. And so mm-hmm. I was a really good hire for that because I'd had all my years at MTV and I'd done music videos and I'd worked in radio and and um you know, and now i had been at Playboy, so I knew a little bit about, you know, like sexy and groupies and all that stuff. So I was I was a good hire for the project. The problem was um, that about four fifths of the way through pre-production, um, the executive producer came to us and said, hey, what if you shot alternate versions of a couple of scenes? If you guys would shoot alternate versions of a couple of scenes in certain territories, I could sell this as an Angel sequel. And we said, like Angel, like high school student by day, Hollywood, he said, yeah, that. I said, OK, <laughs> but, you know, we've hired a blonde, you know, to play the lead on your insistence. And Angel is a brunette. And he's like, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. It's only, for, it's only for like Poland and a few territories. So we say, "Oh, well, okay. So that's what we did. I, I rewrote a couple of scenes, you know, to, to establish that this photographer, this police crime scene photographer, who is the protagonist of the movie, um, we, we did a couple of scenes establishing that she has this mysterious past as Angel. And that's it. The rest of the movie stays the same. Uh, well, of course the only version that ever got, so I cut the two versions, but of course the only one he ever paid to complete uh, was the angel version. <laughs> and of course the lead actress never posed in anything like the artwork they needed for the cover to sell it as an angel movie. So they they very, very badly stuck her face on some other person's <laughs> body. It's, it's just, it's all, the whole thing is just so humiliating, but... Um, Does that cut
3: exist behind you somewhere in that room?
1: Is there the original reel for that cut? You're looking at my messy office and thinking, well, sure, it's got to be there because every fucking thing he's ever done is done. Thank you, Keegan, for that. Uh, Apologies. (laughs) um, I don't know. Uh, You know, maybe somewhere I've got a VHS of that cut uh, I should do. Um, I don't know. I might. I don't know. Uh, Dodie might have it. I, I, anyway, so uh, I don't know. Sorry. Good question. Can't answer it. <laughs> it. Um, but, you know, I learned a lot doing it. I mean, the reason yeah. I did it really was because I I thought, well, I'm sure I'm going to screw a lot of things up in my, you know, first feature film. So let me do that on somebody else's dime. Yeah. And I did. I I put a pseudonym on it. You know, the whole deal. Um, And it came out and, you know, did fine. The producer made plenty of money on it. Um, but then, like, a year later, I went and made Pompous of Love, and, and that's, like, my real, quote-unquote, first movie. Okay. Um, so, although it's funny, because when I was in New York working on some projects, at one point we were sharing an office with Todd Salons, and Todd was making his first movie, which was called Fear, Anxiety, and Depression. And it was, like, a note-for-note Woody Allen rip-off. <laughs> um, <laughs> And and then like a year or two later, he did, I guess, Welcome to the Dollhouse, and it gets into Sundance, and all the press is about how, you know, this is the amazing debut from Todd Salon. So I'm thinking, I was there when he <laughs> made it. <laughs> I was in the room when he made <laughs> this first movie. What are y'all talking about? But but that was conveniently erased from history somehow. Hmm,
0: um, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, I have a copy of the script, actually, somewhere back there. The proof. <laughs> For your anxiety and depression. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, like I said, so yeah, so basically, so since then I've just been trying to, and I got close a couple of times, like to the big Hollywood thing, Uh, you know, I, I I got, I got close. I got in the room on a couple of things. Um, but you know, the one time it was, they're both romantic comedies. One time, uh, it came down to me and Andy Tennant and Andy Tennant had done a studio picture. He had done an Olsen twins comedy. Hmm. So they were more comfortable going with him, and the other time, it came down to me and the producer's brother, um, <laughs> who, 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 in all fairness, was Adam Shankman. Um, so, I, so I used to joke like, "Oh, they just got us confused because <laughs> the name." So cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, no, it, the but no, Adam was the producer's brother, Jennifer's brother, and you know, and Adam did a, a great job, and Adam has obviously gone on to become a very successful director. Who. Um, uh has made at least one truly great movie. Um I mean Hairspray is I think one of the best musicals of all time. Yeah. Uh so and, and I told him that one time. I mean, because we know each other like a tiny little bit. And uh not long after Hairspray I saw him somewhere and I said, I said, because he had done a bunch of movies and I, and I said, no offense, but Hairspray is the movie you were born to make. He said, he said, "Nope, none taken." I completely agree. Um, I mean, God, that movie is just so
2: good.
0: Well, so before before we talk about the Man from Earth, this this whole conversation leads into something else. I really wanted to ask you about because I feel like with your incredible background and how and how varied it is, how much of the industry you must have seen. What do you make of the current state of things with the streaming services? And, and what's the landscape like for independent filmmakers today? Do you think it's better? It's worse? Because it's interesting, We're the three of us, we're, we're kind of uh, the lowest common denominator for the American audience. We're not film students. We don't have any interest in making films, but we love film. And we love being the consumers of it. So how this whole sea change has affected stuff from the other side of the lens is something that I think we'd, we'd all love to hear more about.
1: Uh, I know people who have been more affected by it probably than I have. Because I've always been, and not intentionally, but I've always been like an outsider, you know, with my nose pressed up against the glass, trying to break in, you know, it's... I've made, what, like 14 movies at this point, and each one was some weird break, you know, or just completely entrepreneurial on my part or uh like literally put my own money you know or yeah. i made three movies for the asylum you know uh i made a movie for vh1 that has a whole story behind how that came to be but that's probably the most successful movie i ever made because it's played on t christmas every year for 20 years so um i mean certainly dollar for dollar that's the most lucrative movie i ever made you know in terms yeah. of the amount of money that ended up in my pocket um So, I know people, I mean, just last night, I was talking to a guy whose whole career changed because of Hmm. what you're talking about. And now he's making these like five day, ultra low budget genre pictures, you know. Hmm. Um, You know, but pendulums swing, and, and so they affect people positively and negatively. So for example, you know there's all these people men and women making all these two hundred fifty thousand dollar lifetime movies you know whether they're for lifetime or lifetime movie network or they're for channels that are like lifetime or they're for streaming services that have seen the success of lifetime and think oh we should get some of that you know and they're like the same movie over and over again you know you hire the babysitter the nanny the party planner who is (laughs) psychotic and wants to kill you you know like they are the same so it's work so in other words, speaking as a filmmaker yeah it's it's work and you so you get paid a little bit at least and you get to make a movie whether it's six days or eight days or 12 days or if you're incredibly lucky you know 15 days you know or by the same token christmas movies there's the whole christmas industrial complex where you're you know i mean my friend brian literally makes like three christmas movies a year wow. you know, uh between <laughs> july and november that's incredible so there's an enormous amount of opportunity to just work and be a filmmaker. Now, are these movies that one is proud of? I know people who... It's very interesting because I know people who convince themselves to be proud of these terrible movies. Uh, like, I've seen it happen. In yeah. other words, I know that not all of my movies are good. Uh, and I know why they're not Like I know what's wrong with the ones that aren't good. <laughs> um, and what it's interesting for me to observe just as like a friend and a filmmaker and a fan because i'm definitely also the same thing as you guys like i'm just a person who loves movies and goes to see them all the time and watches them on tv all the time and just love consumes a lot of movies uh what's interesting to me is how people kid themselves you know thinking that what they've done is any good um but at the same time the shittiest movies have fans i mean just talking about you know, asylum. I mean, look at Sharknado. Um, yeah. I yeah. mean, Daniel Daniel Radcliffe has said publicly that he loves Sharknado, not ironic. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I don't even know, yeah. I don't even know what to do with that. Yeah. Cause, yeah, because like. like... Oh, go ahead. I mean, I have friends who. I mean, I have many, many friends who work on the Sharknado movies, uh, friends and associates, and you know, they're bad. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if that's a controversial position to take, but they're not good movies. Yeah, But yeah. they're beloved by millions of people. So what the hell do I know? We, we
0: just so a few weeks ago, we reviewed um, the new Space Jam movie, which we kind of found in a, in a similar boat, which was, you know, for everybody that's working on it. Anybody that's just got to try to have a job and they got to pay their mortgage and everything else. Like, no, I don't personally have any fault with those people or anything else, but any of the big stars or any of the studio people that, and again, I don't know what that world's like, but I just got to imagine that when they're doing this, they must know this is bad. This is going to make a boatload of money. And that's the main point of what we're trying to do here. But the difference between those people and the people that are actually working on the movie that need a job, that's like a world of difference for for me.
1: Well... Okay, I'll tell you this. I know this from talking to people. It depends who on the movie you're talking about. Like, I'm sure the director and the writers and maybe the executive in charge uh, and maybe some some of the producers, not all the producers, but some have absolutely convinced themselves that they're making a great movie. Uh, They definitely believe, they could not go to work every day if they didn't believe it. Uh, Now, the key grip, You know, the sound recordist, the makeup artist, you know, the costume designer, do they necessarily think it's a great movie? No, they probably know the truth, even as they're working on it. Some of them might have drunk the Kool-Aid, some of them might have sipped it and Mm. aren't quite sure. And the others, you know, they're there either out of loyalty to the filmmaker or because they need a job or it fit in perfectly in their schedule or, you know, or they felt like you know, this isn't going to be a great movie, but it's an opportunity for me to do what I do and I'm going to do what I do really, really well. So yeah. no one's going to be able to say anything bad about the sound or the camera movement or the wardrobe or the makeup or any other aspect, you know. Yeah. Um, but like I, one movie that I made for the asylum that is definitely, you know, like not a good movie. Um, I did my best, you know, uh. There were problems with the script. There were bigger problems. The bigger problem was the disconnect between the script and the budget. You know, in other words, where I'd been encouraged to write these big scenes. Same thing happened with with Abraham Lincoln. You're encouraged to write these big scenes um, and then you don't have the resources to produce them properly. Hmm. So you fall short. You have to fall short because you simply... It's like you're at a scene, you know, this happens and then this happens and this happens and this blows up. And it's like, well, right. But then it can't blow up because you can't do that effect. And then the first three things are kind of undercut because you don't have the ending. And then maybe you don't have the effects you need to do the first three things either. Or the location falls out the morning you're supposed to go. And so you are literally saying, well, okay, it's supposed to be on a boat. But what if it's in an alley? You know, it's like, sure. (laughs) So, you know, you do the best you can. And um uh, and then you move on i mean what you know what else can you do
0: yeah well hank and keegan do you guys do you guys have any other any other questions you want to pose richard and before we talk about the man from earth or 12 angry men
2: i i have a one thing um and it's kind of continuing this train of thought but just thinking about this you know it's it sounds like there's movies you make because you need an opportunity and there's movies you make because you know they're they're a real labor of love. It's something you feel strongly about making. You you really like the vision, um, and it seems Richard like you you've probably made a little bit of both. You know you've probably made a, or I I can tell you you know you've you've told us you've made a little bit of both. Um, and I, I I have to ask when you're
1: just don't get me wrong. I would rather be Wes Anderson. You know? <laughs> like I would rather just make Richard Shankman. You know he makes Wes Anderson movies. Yeah. You know bless him. I would rather just make Richard Shanks' movies, but I I have not had that opportunity for whatever set of reasons. Whether it's just because I'm just not as good as Wes Anderson, or because I just haven't been as lucky, you know, my suits aren't as tight, uh, you know. Um, <laughs> that, that that was, was probably, probably most of I think. it. Um, you know, whatever <laughs> it is, uh, I you know that hasn't been my path. Mm-hmm. So well, I, I, I do the best I can on my path. I'm sorry I interrupted you.
2: Oh no no worries. I I guess what I was going to ask is. You've made a few movies it seems that are, you know, real Richard Shankman movies. Uh like The Man From Earth. I guess you didn't write the entire script, but you you directed it and it seems like a real it, it, I I really like the movie. It's it looks to me like a labor of love. You've also made some things that you were hired to do. It's kind of a job do you ever find that you kind of get something that's an opportunity, you just take it because it's a job, and it kind of turns into something you love doing? Or is it really just the the Richard Shankman movies that you're really able to throw yourself into?
1: No. First of all, I love the process so much mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. even on a movie like 100 Degrees Below Zero, um, uh, I have a great time. Uh, you know, I I got to go to Budapest and Paris. I Got to work with a bunch of super talented people. I got to hang out with John Rush Davies, you know, I I got to ply my craft, you know, like try to figure out, okay, how do I do a helicopter rescue from the Eiffel Tower, you know, in the middle of an earthquake ice storm with like literally no money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how do you how do you do any of that? Yeah, and then you say, well, you know, you break it down into tiny little pieces, and you you figure out a way to do at least a version of it, uh, you know. And and it's like, so I'm very proud of that, actually. Uh, you know, like like would I recommend the movie? No, I would not recommend the movie. But I'm proud of what I did as a craftsman, if that makes any sense. Yeah. But a better example would be Abraham Lincoln versus Zombies, where, um, I, I was brought on as a writer, basically. Uh, somebody else a friend of mine was going to direct it and then he was leaving the project to uh because to, he got a better opportunity and I said well do me favor when you quit quit in such a way that everybody doesn't say screw him you know but quit in such a way that they still like you and then you can recommend me for the job and he said okay so he did um and and then I remember the asylum guys took me out to lunch to say why do you want to direct this and I said, because I've fallen in love with the screenplay, and that's what had happened. You know, over the course of writing the script, which I just thought was a lot of fun and 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 was kind of clever and uh, and emotional and 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 wove this crazy story into historical context. I'd really fallen in love with the script, and I wanted to direct the movie. I thought it would be fun to direct the movie, and it was fun to direct it. It was it was more challenging than it should have been. I mean, if I would have had three more days and fifty thousand more dollars. It would have been an entirely different experience. But, you know, that's not how they work. You know, I had to work within the very, very strict limitations. But in the end, while there is definitely parts of that movie that do not work, I'm actually really proud of a lot of it. Um, Yeah. So is that me drinking my own Kool-Aid, you know, convincing myself that a piece of crap is actually not bad? Um, Maybe. Uh, (laughs) But then again, a lot of people love that movie. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, we all have a confession to make, which is all three of us tried our damnedest and we could not figure out a way to watch Abraham Lincoln vs. Zombies ahead of this interview. We couldn't... Is it? Oh, I thought I looked on Tubi.
1: You guys, almost everything I've done is on Tubi, actually. it's uh, Tubi's been very nice to me as a filmmaker.
0: Okay, we'll see. You, he- you heard it here first, Rotating Reels fans. Tubi, for all of the best... Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was actually I was curious to watch it, um, because I'm I'm a big genre fan. I like, you know, kind of horror movies and I, I like stuff that's uh maybe a little bit schlocky, which, you know, based on the title alone I assume it might it might be that. But I was curious to see, you know, what it looked like when you directed it, because the the the, the other main work of yours I've seen is The Man from Earth, which I think is kind of anything but schlocky and, you know, genre y, so I was curious to see it. I can't believe I didn't look on Tubi, because it's normally the place I go where I think, I can't find this anywhere else. (laughs) Isn't there an
1: app? I thought there was some app that, uh, it's like this movie finder, where basically you just type in the movie and it tells you where you can find it. Because obviously at this point, there's so many options with streaming and whatnot, and some are exclusive and some aren't. As a filmmaker, I'll tell you one thing that I love about Tubi, which is, um, at least from what I've seen so far, a human being figures out where to put the commercial breaks uh
2: really? they don't just
1: you know do like oh every yeah. 11 minutes there's a commercial break like the commercial breaks come at moments in the movie where you think oh yeah i could go to the bathroom right now you know i could <laughs> still get a drink right now um or sit and watch the commercial sorry so. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um
1: for those fine products uh but yeah last time i checked abe was on on Tubi. uh
0: well, well we'll edit that out we won't we won't uh, we won't admit to our audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Funnily enough, Abraham, as low as the budget was in Abraham Lincoln vs Zombies, it was bigger than the budget for Man from Earth. Hmm. Really? Yeah.
0: Really? Well,
1: hmm,
0: well, by we've, a lot we've, we've danced around it. We've danced around it now. So let's let's, let's talk about it. Which is, you know, I, 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 like I said, I haven't seen all of the films you've done, but this is honestly one of my favorite films of all time. I recommend it to people constantly, and I was so excited when Hank and Keegan really liked it. Um, so kind of the first thing I wanted to ask you is I, I've heard a little bit of the background of how you got involved in it, but I'm sure our listeners would like to hear it again, but so you got the script first and you read the script. What, what drew you to it? What told you, I want, I would like to make this movie if I had the chance.
1: Uh, I just loved it. You know, I loved it at the time I had only done pompous of love. This was like 95. So I'd yeah. only done, well, I had done angel four undercover <laughs> and I had done <laughs> uh pompous of love. And I got this. No, that's a lie. That's a lie. I had also done October 22. Okay. uh, Because it was the producer, uh, uh, the line producer of October 22, Gary Depew, who called me with the script. Mm -hmm. Um, He, through some West Hollywood, you know, I don't know, network of people, uh, he knew this guy. And the guy was like a manager producer type. And the manager producer type said, "Hey, I've got this, you know, low budget script. Uh, do you know any filmmakers?" And Gary said, "Yeah, I just had a really good experience with this guy." So I got the script, and I just loved it. I just thought, I loved the, I mean, I love the same thing about it everybody else does. I love that it was like a, like a, a campfire tale, you know, that it that it wove this incredible tapestry of storytelling just with the power of the imagination, just the spoken word. And I loved that it got emotional. That it, you know, because it, it was as an intellectual exercise. Sure, it's awesome, but the fact that it really gets emotional, I thought, was the 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 kicker. And then the fact that it had like a little like a little twist at the end. I thought, like, oh my God, like this is just perfect. This is the ultimate script for a low budget movie. Uh, so, I just loved it. I had I had some notes. Uh, oh, so so I had a meeting, Gary and me and the guy, whose name I cannot remember, uh, and Emerson Bigsby, who this manager you know, represented. And I was honest and I said, you know, I love this, love it, love it. You know, here are my thoughts. And Emerson said, yeah, that, that all sounds good to me. You know, it make, makes sense. And so, um, you know, and, and he said, you know, what about, you know, flashbacks? I said, no, no just no, we're not gonna add flashbacks. Like the, the beauty of it is that it's, it's you know, just the story um and he said what about you know shots of john riding on the back of a saber saber, on a saber-toothed cat and i said that would be ridiculous um (laughs) so he said okay because every other meeting i go to that's what they want and i said well not me so everybody shook hands and said great we're gonna go make a movie and then um so i worked on sort of my draft of it but i never heard anything and eventually everybody stopped answering my phone calls and uh and I, didn't know, I never knew what happened. And Gary, you know, kind of went on to do other stuff in the business you know, and outside the business, so he didn't know. And So it just all went away. And then years go by, years and years go by, 10 of them probably. Wow. And um, a buddy of mine, uh, there was a thing, a guy, a filmmaker in New York named um, Gary Winnick uh, had a company called Indigent, uh, Indigent, Indigent. Uh, which was like a, a fun, um, you know, independent digital entertainment, but also indigent as, (laughs) um, because he had this, this setup where he was making $300,000 movies that he was shooting on mini DV. Oh, wow. And, uh, and then making them for IFC. IFC was putting up the $300,000 and, um, and they were keeping, and, and the, the deal was, uh, they put up the 300,000 and they got the rights to air it on IFC however the filmmakers if they could sell it to Miramax or 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 uh, you know searchlight or whomever you know could do that and then and then IFC would get their money back etc and then any profit was split 50/50 IFC mm-hmm. got 50 and the filmmakers got 50 and then they divided that amongst the crew and everybody in the casting crew got a piece of it Uh, You know, like a quarter of a point, a half a point, two points, for you're the lead actor, whatever. So that was going on. And then a friend of mine, Dean Aliotto, who is a filmmaker who uh, I think technically um, directed the first found footage movie. Hmm. A movie called Alien Abduction. Oh, yeah. That he did back in the 90s, uh, which I think everybody acknowledges is the first found footage movie. Like it was really put out there to the point where a lot of people thought it was real. Is, like that,
2: is that even before uh, Blair Witch Project? Yes, that's why. I wouldn't say he was the first if it was <laughs> not before Blair Witch. Well, I just had to check. <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to check that out. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: You've not
0: seen that, Hank? You would love that.
3: It seems completely up your alley.
2: I haven't.
1: <laughs> Except I just ruined it for you by telling you that it's fictional. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> the movie, because, you know, it, it never acknowledges it. Like, there's no credits or anything. Like it, you know, yeah. it, it, It's put out there as a, we found this. It's real. Yeah. Um, but it's not. So, uh, um, where was I? So Dean made a movie that he shot on mini DVD, a comedy about these two detectives in Los Angeles. And it looked really good. You know, he did it for like a hundred thousand dollars and he had, uh, you know, some people in it and it looked really, really good. And I was talking to my friend, Eric Wilkinson saying, God, you know, my friend Dean just did this movie for a hundred grand and it looks like a movie. And, and Eric said, well, you know, what do you have that could be done for a hundred grand? And I said, nothing, nothing I'm writing is, you know, the only thing I ever had in my hands that ever could have been done at that scale was that, 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 this man from earth script. And Eric said, whatever happened. And I told him and he said, who was the guy Emerson Bixby? You know, and and I hear like, (laughs) Oh, here's his number. So I, I call Emerson. I said, look, I don't know if you remember me. But he said, "Remember you. You were the only filmmaker who ever wanted to make the movie the way my dad wrote it. Uh, I, I remember you." And I said, "Well, here's the deal. I'm going to shoot it on mini DV for a hundred thousand dollars. I don't have any money to pay you for the script, but it will be the script, you know, that your dad wrote with those few changes that I already told you about." And he said, "Yeah, I'm in." So we That's awesome. scraped together a hundred grand and made the movie
0: what was it like working with somebody who didn't write the script, right? It was his father wrote it on his on his he finished it on his deathbed, I believe. Literally, yes,
1: in the hospital. Yeah. So what so I'm sure And then Emerson probably... would like Emerson would take the napkins and the and the menu backs and the and the train liners uh and go home and type them up at night.
0: Wow. Okay, so he was I didn't know if he had been involved in that process. But he was definitely involved in the process. Okay. Got it. Okay. So I'm sure he wanted to keep things to the script. I'm sure he was not interested in saber-toothed Tigers and all that.
1: No. Yeah. No, he was very vocal about that. But he didn't have to be with me because I saw it the exact same way. I mean, the stuff that I wanted to change was, you know, uh, there was a character in like the first 20 pages who kind of disappears and then never comes back again. I was like, well, what happened to that guy? You know, so Mm -hmm. I just took that guy's best stuff and gave it to other people um there was a phone call that comes in that kind of implies that john might be going to go live at this kind of cult or something and but again it didn't go anywhere and yeah. i thought why introduce that you know let's keep it intense just the people in the room and then the other thing was um emerson gave me a page of notes that his dad had typed out very early on in the process and in the notes was the idea that Gruber pulls out the gun, but it wasn't in the screenplay. And I said, like, hmm. "Dude, that's spectacular! Like that has to go in the movie." And he said, oh, it's good. You're right. It should be in the movie." So, like that, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I changed.
0: Awesome. But, but awesome. very much
1: with Emerson's uh, approval, you know. And I and I did it like I used to, like I always say, like I did it like, an, like I did it in layers. So that it wasn't like, "Here's my rewrite," you know, uh, and and you know, and shock him. I did it very slowly over the course of a number of polishes, so that you know, you'd barely notice that it was being changed. Not that I mean, Emerson's a smart guy; he saw what I was doing, but he, he, you know, they, they were they were good changes. You know, they were good changes. Like he was on board.
2: Yeah, I, I have to say, one of the things that I I really like about the movie is it feels quite focused. And all those changes that you you described, they sound like they really kind of feed into that. So like I could imagine liking the movie significantly less if there were phone calls that didn't go anywhere, characters that disappeared. So it's, it's kind of cool to hear about the process that kind of got us that nice focused end product. Um, yeah. And
0: uh, what's the point where you began to see the parallels between 12 Angry Men? I mean, obviously they're both set in basically one room and, and there's a lot of tension going on. But what was, do you remember if there was an, a moment where you're like, oh, wait a minute, this is sort of like 12 Angry Men.
1: I mean, from the start. Yeah, you know, from the from the very start, I always would pitch it to people as like a science fiction Twelve Angry Men. Um, I mean, how many movies are there with eight people in a room talking? Yeah, you know, and 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 trying to convince each other of things. I mean, you know, it's it's the 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 comparisons were obvious from day one.
2: so you know,
1: so, so that's why it was interesting to read Sidney Lumet's book. Um, um, making making movies by Sidney Lumet. Um, to uh, to see well how did he do it, and and then I tried to copy him, but I was not able to uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, he rehearsed for two weeks, or or four weeks or something, and then shot for two weeks. Uh, I had. I, I I rehearsed for one week and shot for one week and two weeks is not one week or rather one week is not two weeks or or yeah. three weeks. Like it's just not, you know, you could spend like I, the analogy I always use is, you know, and I don't want to tell you a long story, but um, basically when I was a student and I was traveling around France, I would go to the store like every day in the morning. I'd go to the store and get a bottle of water, a bottle of wine, a loaf of bread, a hunk of cheese and a hunk of pate. And I, you know, would spend like six dollars, you know, however, six francs, whatever, on a bottle of wine. And then money was getting tight. So I saw that they had five franc wine. So I bought a bottle of five franc wine and it was and it was good, too. So I thought, well, Jesus, four franc wine, maybe I'll get four franc So I, I did that and it was good. And then I saw, like, there's three-franc wine. I was like, oh, okay, okay. So I got three-franc wine, and it was fucking swill. Uh, like, <laughs> could not put in your body. So it was like, okay, so there's a line. There's yeah. a line below which you can't go. And, you know, so while two weeks of rehearsal is great, one-week rehearsal is not as great. And two weeks of shooting is great. One week of shooting is not as good. So, uh, And the other thing, of course, is that he was on a set. He was on a stage. So yeah. they could pull walls, and they could have a lighting grid, and, you know, they could... You know, do all of that and I couldn't do any of that because I was in a cabin on location with no electricity, no running water you know, no nothing
0: No Um, electricity
1: um, Yeah, so we had to have (laughs) our own generators, we had to have our own water, we had to bring our own bathrooms Wow Um, So, you know uh, So that's why 12 Angry Men uh, looks way better than my movie and has way more (laughs) shots and way more you know dramatic pushes pushing in on people as they, you know, come to a big realization or they're about to say an important thing. You know, I just, um, I was just scrambling to get the thing down.
0: Yeah, because in that book he talks a lot about, um, the, throughout the movie they're switching to different focal point lenses to try to really create the claustrophobia and he shoots at different angles as the film goes on. Were you able to adapt any of those things or, or was it you
1: just constrained and couldn't do the? Well, I went into it thinking, I, uh, bless my heart, I actually went into it thinking we'll rehearse for a week, they will be so off book that I'll be able to copy one thing from his book, which is I'll be able to block shoot, meaning I'll yeah. be able to say, okay, right, let's point the camera at the fireplace and shoot everything in the whole movie in the direct, that happens by the fireplace. Great. Now we're going to turn and shoot by the door and, and there just was no way. There was no way. David couldn't keep the whole movie in his head um nobody could you know tony could like nobody nobody could do that it became very clear like immediately that was not going to happen so instead i broke the movie up into scenes and just almost arbitrarily really because it's you know in a lot of ways it's one big scene so i broke it up into scenes and said right okay today we're shooting this scene and it might have mean going all the way around the room and then going all the way around the room again, you know. Or the next day, you're going all around the room again with a slight lighting change, you know. And that's just—it couldn't be helped. Yeah, it, it couldn't be helped.
2: Yeah, I I have to say that I I don't think there's an argument that the movie you know looks as as polished as Twelve Angry Men, but possibly an 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 un, an unintentional side effect of the way it was all all shot is that it feels very cozy to watch. I I, I watched the movie with, you know, like a bottle of wine and, you know, like dim lights and it made for a very pleasant viewing experience. Um, Even if that was kind of an an unintended effect, maybe not exactly what you're going for. uh, I found that I I really enjoyed that part of it. Um, It felt like being in a cabin. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going for. You know, I was, I was going for trying to create this feeling of real time. You know in the last hour or so of light and then the first half an hour hour of dark um you know as the sun sets you know this this illusion of real time and uh and feeling very rustic and warm and you know these are people because part of the emotional through line of the story is these are his friends you know these are people that care about him they've they've known him and loved him for for 10 years And they are really worried that he might be out of his goddamn mind or that he secretly was an asshole all this time, (laughs) would play this horrible trick and not back down from it. Uh, So, you know, that's a huge, maybe the biggest emotional component of the story is about the nature of of friendship and and how friends treat each other. Uh, So it had to feel cozy for that reason.
0: Well, and that's such a, a stark contrast in called Angry Men, right? Where they're all strangers, we don't learn their names until the very end, right? And that there's so much more tension there because they're, they don't have any long-term investment in this. And that's why I, The Man From Earth, I love recommending it to people because I sort of feel like I'm including my them, my friends, in the story that i'm i've watched this enough i feel like i'm kind of here people have said what i've been thinking they're asking the questions i would want to ask so i go to my friends and i'm like hey so i'm sort of like i'm inviting him over check out this guy i know and is he crazy or what
1: no that that is that is the beauty of what became the man from earth experience which is the way it was handed you know like hand you know like like an artifact you know handed off friend to friend hand to hand i mean obviously the vast majority of those people did it you know electronically without giving us any money for it uh millions and millions and millions and millions of them did that but as an artist i can't really object too strenuously to that because it meant that people cared about this enough to literally call or write their friends and say you have to see this you know i'm going to send you the link uh where you can steal or download or whatever, you know, <laughs> illegally stream this movie, um, but you have to see it. And, uh, you know, it's 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 ama- It's, you know, it's incredibly gratifying as a filmmaker to know that so many people, uh, I mean, the, you know, the ratings on IMDb and the number of people that watched it back when it was on Netflix, back in the day, you know, a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people.
0: Yeah, It's yeah. a hell of
1: a thing. Well, yeah, and I was curious to say,
0: too, um, so
3: like, I was gonna say too, like it's it's so interesting to hear you say that because I feel like often with you know as much power as studios have these days, I think there's this huge aversion to movies getting leaked or movies being out on the non-intended streaming platform. So it's it's so nice to hear you say that like you know, this the way that it got out via Pirate Bay and these kind of file sharing services was such a positive for the people that watched it and, and such a good way for them to share it. So I mean, what's kind of the story of how both the original movie and then the sequel Holocene were distributed through through file sharing services.
1: Well, the first one it was unintentional. Uh, what happened was, you know, we 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 sold the movie to a distributor. Uh, you know, this is two thousand six, two thousand seven, and so you know, DVDs were still the, you know, the the, uh, the oh my god, but you know, the currency of the land. You know, the currency of. share So uh, maybe maybe you could pull that up. Um <laughs> DVDs were still very much in use at that time and so um the distributor sent out a bunch of screener DVDs to video stores and other people to try to encourage them to order the movie and you know because of the whole Star Trek connection and because of was science fiction and you know the the pirate you know community was very much attuned to that somebody grabbed it and ripped it and posted it and and then because it was so beloved by the, those original people who leapt onto IMDb and gave it a ten and said, "You gotta see this thing!" It just spread like wildfire, and so within something like two weeks, we leapt from you know eleven thousand on the IMDb movie meter to like number eight or something. You know, it was insane. Wow. It was yeah. insane—like eleven thousand percent. You know, uh, in a week or two, you this went viral, crisis, which of seven. course made everybody else. Look at that and say, wait, what the hell is this? What's this movie I never heard of that suddenly number eight, which of course made more, you know, and so it just grew and grew and grew. And then a lot, and then all those first few thousand people gave it a 10. So suddenly we were the one of the highest rated movies on IMDb, uh, which made two things happen. It made a lot of people, you know, seek it out. And of course, it made a lot of people give it a one because, like, fuck those guys. So, because <laughs> you know, it's the internet. So, <laughs> right now, we, you know, so for many years, we've been hovering it around an eight, you know, which is fine. It still puts us in the top sort of 50, 60 science fiction films of all time. But what are you going to do? Marvel has to pick a robot because <laughs> all the Marvel movies are considered sci-fi and they all get it, you know, like an 8.5 or something. So they knock this down.
2: It's a damn shame. I, <laughs> I, I have the unpopular opinion here. Keegan loves Marvel movies. I can barely stand them. <laughs>
1: um, no, no, I, I, I love Marvel movies. Uh, I, I just obviously, as a filmmaker, especially a filmmaker who's not, you know, like a wealthy or powerful man, mm-hmm. I would like to at least have a movie in the top fifty and IMDb. You know? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> that that would be at least the thing I could hold on to. But anyway, so, so, um, so, um, what happened was uh, we were looking at this phenomenon, thinking. Good Lord, we're getting killed here. I mean, on one hand, it's great. People are watching the movie. On the other hand, nobody's paying for it. Yeah. And then my ex-wife, my wife at the time, um, said, uh, why don't you put the word out into the pirate community that, you know, if people like the movie, they could, they could, you know, make a donation, send you money. And I said, that is a great idea. So that's what we did. We, we, we created a PayPal page and we uh support put the word out as much as we could, you know, and and people over the course of the next, you know, 10 years made donations. I mean, it's, we didn't get rich from it by any means. I mean, uh, but, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people, maybe thousands, but certainly hundreds and hundreds made donations of every size from a dollar to, you know, $50 it, it really, and, and people from all over the world. So... There's a whole long story of how Holocene came to be. I don't wanna I don't wanna bore you guys. Um oh, you're not you're not boring us, no, is it? Never. Trying to think, how do I tell so basically, you know, people were saying, Oh, well, you should do a sequel. And I said, No, I don't want to do a sequel. The original is sacrosanct and all that. And then finally somebody said, You should do a TV series. And I said, That's a really good idea. And I started thinking about what the TV series would be, you know, who like, what would it be? Like, what's John doing? Is he just wandering around, you know, going from place to place? And, uh, and, and then, and then I realized, no, it should be like the fugitive or the Hulk or, um, you know, Kung Fu, you know, where basically he's on the run, but because of who he is, even though he's on the run, he stops and helps people along the way. Um, and I thought, okay, well, who, then who's after him, you know? and, And I thought, well, I don't want it to be like, you know, the CIA who want a sample of his blood. You know, I, I, I wanted the opposite of that. Like I want, when I had the idea that the people who were after John were people who wanted to worship him, that's when I got excited. I thought, oh, that's that's good. Um, so uh, I basically wrote a pilot, and then I thought, well, how do I get a pilot? And, and that's when I basically had the idea that I could um, make like a spec pilot but do it as a feature so that we can actually get the money together to make it. In other words, mm. in, other, in other words, nobody's going to give me the money to make a spec pilot and I don't have the connections to march into NBC or, you know, Netflix or, well, I tried marching into Netflix and, you know, basically, especially given how popular the original movie had been and they basically said, you're who again? You're a no, man from Earth. Remember, you, you bought all those copies. They said, we're so busy. Uh, so... Um, <laughs> So basically, long story short, too late. I know, sorry. Long story short, we made we made Holocene as an independent film, but it was always secretly or not so secretly meant to really be a pilot for a proposed Man from Earth TV series. Uh, gotcha. I don't know. How, oh, right. But then, but your whole piracy thing. So then, we thought, okay, well, re- regardless of what we do distribution wise. We know that the internet is waiting for this movie and it's going to pirate it. And that's going to be that. So we thought, why don't we get ahead of it? You know, why don't we basically pirate our own movie? And that's what we did. You know, I, when I had the movie finished, I reached out to the pirate um, subtitle community and I said, look, we're going to be giving the movie away for free and asking for donations. So will you give me subtitles for free? And they mm-hmm. said, sure how can we say no to that so i got subtitles so we hit the ground with subtitles like seven or eight languages nice. um and we basically you know we we <laughs> we I, I made multiple i'm sorry for that voice um God, so we no made words. multiple we made multiple file sizes you know like 150 megabytes for people that lived in you know i don't know some village in the middle of nowhere and 350 megabytes and 500 megabytes all the way up to like i think two gigabytes for people that you know insisted on seeing it in hd and posted all of them you know i worked <laughs> with pirates uh i was able to find some <laughs> and uh and, tears when they work for you you know and uh and so they oh, right. <laughs> right, pirates. you're very good um so um Right. Exactly. Cause I'm the crown. So they, uh, and the South, we did, you know, we, we sort of made this date, like this is the drop date and we put it out and we had the website up and I made a little, uh, uh, video at the beginning of the movie, you know, basically saying, look, share this far and wide. All I'm asking is, you know, I'm asking two things. Um, if you can afford it, if you like the movie, please make some kind of a donation. Uh, and don't cut this message off and and try to make money yourself off the movie give it away for free we're giving it away for free but please don't you turn it into something that you're making money off of because that's just not fair or right and of course people immediately did that you know (laughs) but you know most people understood and i mean i can't tell you how many emails i've gotten from people over you know since 2017 saying I mean even literally saying i don't particularly like this movie but i admire what you're trying to do here's five dollars um so you know i mean and then of course i get emails from people you know who feel for some reason i want to hear from them that i have now ruined the original man from earth by making a (laughs) subpar sequel um like, you really could keep that to yourself. Like, you really, really <laughs> could. Um, and what I always want to write back is like, hey, and how much did you pay to watch it?
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Nothing, right? Well, you're welcome <laughs> for the first one, also. Like, <laughs> Um. Yeah. sorry, yeah. So anyway, so uh, and again, we have not recouped the cost of the movie. You know, thousands of people, and I mean thousands, have made donations, which is extraordinary and lovely and brilliant. But unfortunately, we spent a lot more on the second one than we did on the first one, so we have not yet, sure.
3: and, and so, we have I mean, not yet
1: sold the TV series. Have you looked to do like
3: crowdfunding for future projects? I mean, that's like a huge thing, right? Like you know, tons of small movies do the GoFundMe or the Kickstarter, or you know, I, I think you were like really finger on the pulse, kind of getting it early with the whole utilizing Pirate Bay. I can't imagine the idea hadn't crossed your
1: mind. No, we did it. Uh, the first, the first. 48 dollars $50,000 that we raised to make Holocene came from a crowdfunding campaign. So, I mean, on one hand, Keegan, like, yeah, it's amazing we raised that much money. On the other hand, it was nowhere near enough. Yeah, sure. You know, it just, it was not the budget of the movie. And frankly, I was, I, I'm not going to lie. I was a little shocked and quite a bit disappointed. You know, again, when you look at the millions of people who have you know illegally you know streamed or downloaded my movie um it's you know you want to say to them hey if all of you gave me like 25 cents i could have made this movie twice over you know like is it really that much to ask that you pay something something for a movie um yeah but the answer uh from a lot of people is uh no, I pay nothing. <laughs> Everything should be those, free. And are those PayPal accounts still live? Can
3: we? Are those something that we could post?
1: Hell yeah! I, I mean, literally. Okay. I, I mean, get people or make donations. Uh, and and what what I ended up having to do is expand it because my people would write in and they say, "Well, I'm in China and I don't have access to PayPal." So we created mm-hmm. a Stripe account. And other people said, "Well, aren't you taking crypto?" And I said, "Well, now we are, sure." <laughs> you know, <if> <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, if you if you go to manforthcom and you go okay. right up in the upper right-hand corner, there's a little donate button, and there's a whole variety of ways to donate. There's even merchandise for sale. There's some signed posters and DVDs and Blu-rays. Um, you know, it's... Sure. Um, and we will keep taking money until we pay back the <laughs> policy. Um, and then, frankly, you know, any money we get past that, you know, God willing, go into a third film yeah because because i know how i would love because you know i i wrote out like five seasons worth of stuff for this tv show so yeah. i have all sorts of ideas about where it should go and how it should end um and i would love to bring that to the screen in some way uh, but you know it takes a pile of money about yay high
0: <laughs> well we we all came to this because i i brought this to the guys and i found it the Man from Earth and then Holocene, um, a couple of years ago. So after all of that, after, I forget exactly, exactly how I found the film, film, but we didn't know we didn't any of know that, any background. that background. I thought, why, 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 there's, this, there's gem. this gem. Why have why, why, why people, people not been talking been more talking about this? More this, is this is an incredible movie. movie. So, so we'll, we'll, we'll definitely, definitely direct people. We'll put a little link to, to how to go, go and donate, donate on the show notes. notes. People can definitely find that.
1: Every so often, someone does one of these, you know, the 10 best movies you've never seen or – 10 best science fiction movies of the early 2000s or you know something and then we get like a little burst of attention um we are i am hoping we in 2017 for the 10th anniversary of the movie we re-released it with uh using the technology available at the time to do like an hd upres we actually Mm. i literally went back to the to the mini dv tapes and rebuilt the whole movie using the technology at the time to do a new HD up-res and a new color correction. And I made like a 90-minute or two-hour documentary called Man from Earth Legacy, which um, is on, you know, the DVDs and the Blu-rays. And then, you know, whatever, six months after that, we released Man from Earth Holocene. I can tell you that there is now way better technology to do these up res is to use ai and other magic and i saw about a half a dozen shots tested using the new technology and it's insane i mean it looks like we shot at hd it's nuts so i'm hoping for you know i don't know 15th anniversary or whatever it is uh we'll do i mean not that i want to be like um you know i don't want to be uh you know like guise or et or one of these i don't know one of these movies that they've re-released different versions you know multiple times over the years and trying to you know trick people into buying you know copy after copy after copy but if we can if we can afford to do this new up of the original film you know we'll probably do a re-release that would include you know man from earth and holocene and the the full the feature-length documentary and everything you know at a at a fair price and um uh, and people, I think people will get even more enjoyment from the movie when when they see the level of detail that is magically pulled from the mini TV. That'd be incredible.
2: Yeah, yeah. I uh, I would love to see that. I, I watch everything on this huge screen, and so you know I, when I can see something in that level of HD, it adds just a little bit for me. Um, but, well, uh, one thing I, I wanted to ask, uh, and Taylor, I'm not cutting you off, am I? No, no. Go ahead. Cool. Go ahead. Um, so you mentioned uh, holocene was originally written as kind of a like a, a shadow pilot of a series became a, a feature film um and then you mentioned that if you made back the money that was was spent to make holocene you might make a third film is that kind of your uh, your your future vision for the series would you lean more towards making another feature film if the opportunity came along to to produce a TV series, would that be something you're still interested in? Like, has the vision evolved over time? No,
1: no, it's, no. If I have the opportunity to do a series, I'm gonna do the series. Uh, I, I've tried, you know, I, there was a production company attached at one point, you know, like a real production company uh, who had a real agent. And I worked for like 10 months on a, on a presentation, like a, a detailed presentation. And at the end of it, you know, they said they said this is about the best presentation we've ever seen uh, for a show idea. This is really, really, really good. But their agency just couldn't get anything going. But they couldn't get us any meetings, and you know, nothing nothing happened. I don't know. Uh, I don't have representation, so it's possible that if I were with CAA or William Morris or whatever, uh, they would have the muscle to say, "God, of course we should be a Man from Earth series." You know, we know just where to bring this. I mean, the good thing about A Man From Earth series is that it wouldn't necessarily have to be that expensive or certainly the first season wouldn't be that expensive. And then if it were hit, we could spend a little more money on the second season, but uh, the way I have it plotted out, it's not an expensive show. So, you know, I mean, look, every writer in Hollywood has said the following sentence. When I look at what they're making, I think, why aren't they making my stuff? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and some writers have said that many, 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 many times. Um, You know, I mean, I see shows that I think are just brilliant, and I'm so glad they're being made. And I see other shows, and I think, why would they do this instead of a Man from Earth series? Especially given the fact that it's this, you know, fairly well-known international IP. Um, So... I don't know. Maybe it's just a question of finding the right producer, finding the right agent, finding the right streaming platform. I, I don't know. What I do know is that given like a box of sandwiches and a small pile of money, I can go make a feature film. You know, that yeah. if there's if there's one skill that I've developed over the last three decades, um, it's that I can make a movie for just about any amount of money yeah uh, so uh, if I can pay back the people who funded Holocene and I can get my hands on another small pile of money I can make a third film and at least wrap it up I mean look Christopher Nolan made three movies and wrapped it up you know spoiler *Batman* is like retired in a cafe in Paris (laughs) uh, and yet there's still Batman movies coming yeah you know like you know he was able to so in other words I could make a third film I could wrap it up in the way that I envisioned wrapping it up and there could still be a Man from Earth series that just goes in a different direction yeah um
0: well, you got a lot of time to sample for uh, for for john i mean there you can pick any moment you want <laughs> you <do> historical
1: films <laughs> Ab- absolutely and, and indeed we do you know and in, and in the five-year plan i have for the show we, we we have some fun with that yeah and
0: has the man from earth ever been adapted to the stage that was uh, i've wondered that a lot just given how much it feels like a play how you did the all the rehearsal you need to
1: watch the man from earth legacy documentary.
0: Okay. I, need, I need to. It's going on my list right now. Um, would this
1: be on the
3: Blu-ray? Could that be
1: found uh, there? Yeah. I think on the okay. DVD. Uh, I thought it was on the DVD, too. I mean, I'm also sure, by the way, that it's been pirated as well. So, um, you know, you could probably stream it, but uh, I was very proud of it. I mean, because we did it for no money, but we, we tracked everybody down, and we talked to everybody, and it's really good. I mean, if you if you are a Man from Earth fan, honestly, <laughs> I do think you'll... And I don't just mean you three. I mean, you, anybody listening... Uh, I think for a man from Earth fan, man from Earth Legacy is a really fun behind the scenes documentary like I found some behind the scenes footage that we had never used in the original release mm-hmm. you know for example and you know wow. anyway one of the things um so I'm sorry to berate you Taylor, but one of the things that we that we do cover in that documentary is that yes what happened um at some point after the release of the film was I started getting emails from people around the world saying um, i had an original idea that no one else ever had which is that we should adapt the man from earth to the stage <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and i say, well thank you you're not the first person to suggest that uh and people would say you know can i have the rights to adapt man from earth for the stage and i thought um no i'll adapt man from earth for the stage and so i called the samuel french company who at the time was you know pretty much the biggest um publisher of material for the theater Uh, they administer both the rights and also the physical text you know in other words you would buy your copies from them and then you would also arrange to pay the royalties that are due to the to the playwrights and and songwriters and whatnot and I said look I have this movie that everybody wants to adapt into a play and they said yeah good for you and I said (laughs) um I said well will you publish it and they said you know well has it been produced uh, theatrically and I said well no because i made the movie but everybody wants to do it as a play and they said um they said well we don't publish plays until they've been produced at least two times and i said but the movie has been seen by millions and millions of people (laughs) in the world and i have all these emails and so so they were so they were being very kind of sniffy about it but i basically then collected all the emails from france and germany and russia and south america and korea and, and i forwarded them to samuel french saying all these people want to put on the play and they said, oh, okay, we'll publish it. And so, <laughs> and so they did. And so I did a theatrical adaptation. I, I simplified a couple of little things. Uh, I clarified what was indoors and what was outdoors and so forth. And they published it. Uh, and um, and it's been produced all over the world. I mean, really, 24 countries or something, many, many languages. In Korea, in Seoul, I think it ran for 18 months. No way. Um wow. Uh, some people have sent me videos, so I've seen it, you know, uh, done in different languages and done by professional actors and so professional actors. Uh, <laughs> I went to Athens, Greece uh, for opening night of a production of it there, which was really, really big fun. Yeah. Um, and that the idea there was they were just doing it two nights a week. They were doing it Sunday and Monday night because the actors were all like big actors. They were all, you know, people on TV shows and stuff like that. So they could only do it. Sunday and Monday night, but yeah. you know, it was a great production. Those were great actors. I mean, these were like stars yeah. in, you know, in Greek television doing this play. So, uh, and it was funny to sit and watch it, sit there in an audience and watch it in Greek. Uh,
0: <laughs> and know what's but, going on though. And know what's going on because you know, <laughs> it's
1: the same beats, you know, the blocking is what you expect it to be. And they did it. The director of that version did a very clever thing where she had pre-shot on, on film or something Um, some of the exterior material and then had like a white screen up to the side that was Mm. meant to be like part of John's garage, but then she would project it onto the front of the garage and you would, you know, like the lights would go down on the stage and then you'd see this projected stuff and you'd realize, you know, John's outside or talking to hand. It was really good. Terrific production
0: well that's incredible good that's that's exactly the answer i wanted i because i i'm so i'm so glad that somebody that knows way more about this stuff than me already took that and ran with it (laughs) well richard we're already at over an hour i know that's what we told you we'd want to rope you in for um so i kind of asked the guys you got any other quick questions you wanted to ask like i had with my play one uh or should we give richard the the final word
2: um i'd love to ask uh just one more question um just as kind of a a little bit of a cool down uh richard we obviously all really like the man from earth uh but i'm kind of curious to hear if there's anything recent that's come out that you're really into that you'd love to just give a plug like say hey if you if you're going to watch anything tonight you guys should watch this is there anything you've been watching that you'd love to recommend oh
1: i mean not by me
2: oh i mean it can be by you um yeah
1: yeah (laughs) <laughs> because, no, the, the work I, I thought you were going somewhere different with that. I thought you wanted me to plug something of mine, um, which I will take the, the the opportunity to do. Because my actual favorite movie of mine is "Went to Coney Island on a Mission from God." Be back by five. Um, I made that. I guess it's my. I made "Pompous" and then October twenty-two, and then Coney Island. And um, of all my movies, that's the one that came out the closest to how it was in my head when my friend John and I wrote it you know it's it's very much the movie we wanted to make and uh I'm very very proud of it and we a number of years ago we went back to the original 35mm elements and so we did a new HD transfer and so the version of it that is out in the world is very beautiful and it is on Tubi mm-hmm. so it's free for anybody who lives where there's Tubi and uh I'm just really proud of it. It's it's the kind of movie, you know, like, if I was Wes Anderson, I would be making those kinds of movies. Of, except that's not even true, actually. In all seriousness, <laughs> <reasons, it laughs> <all laughs> I, I in no way aspire to be Wes Anderson, except in terms of his success. Um, yeah. My heroes are actually Sidney Lumet and Norman Jewison and, and people like that who, uh, you know, even like John Frankenheimer, you know, like people who made all different kinds of movies you know yeah. uh, dramas and comedies and science fiction and westerns and musicals and you know that was really always my goal and, and still is i mean i don't consider myself finished you know one of the the movie that i hope i get to do next is a western um i'm writing a horror comedy with a couple of old friends right now i i, I you know i i, I still have a musical that I would like to make uh, with Gretchen Cryer, you know, I I have so many things that I want to do, um, and in every, across every genre, basically, and so that's really my goal, is to be able to be, uh, you know, it goes back to Jerry Lewis, my goal is to be a total filmmaker.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I for I think for, I think for our money, you you've definitely done it, and um, it's been a real real honor to have to have you on the podcast, Richard. Truly um, meant a lot to all of us, um, and uh, a lot of a lot of great insights into your work and the film business in general.
1: It's it's my pleasure. Uh, it's my pleasure. It's it's a you know I love movies. I love movies just like you guys, and uh, I don't know how many of your listeners are um, are filmmakers or aspiring filmmakers and how many are just are just film fans but um i'm you know grateful for all of them you know i i the reason i make movies is for an audience and so any opportunity to connect with an audience is uh, a real deep pleasure
0: awesome well let's let's leave it there